0: God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Amen. What a powerful song. Let's give God a round of applause. Amen. I hope everybody got a set of the notes as you came in. I know we don't have our typical ushers, but if you didn't get a copy of them and you need to slip out, uh, you can do that so you can have a copy and follow along Uh, with us this morning. So glad to be here with you this morning, and Jonah will see you later. He's got to leave, so he's running from the Lord, is what I told him, is what he's doing this morning. But uh, anyway, well, listen, I am so glad to be here with you. It's always a joy to be at uh, Groveport and to see what uh, God is doing here in this place. And I'm excited this morning to share this message with you because it's meant so much to me uh, personally. But before I do that, I'm going to date myself just a wee bit this morning. How many of you remember the old Prince Albert tobacco cans? How many of you remember those? Notice no young people put their hands up. My dad was a tobacco-smoking man. And uh, he used to get those Prince Albert cans, and I loved them because when, when I was a kid, they, they were made out of tin, and you could get those, clean them out, and you could do some really cool things. You could put things in it. You could put marbles, messages, whatever you wanted to do. It was really a cool little item to have. You Don't do that anymore, but back then you did. Now these things are worth a lot of money. Well, there's this little boy His name was Johnny, and Johnny had one of those Prince Albert cans. And so one day, school went out to recess, and little Johnny took his little Prince Albert can out of his pocket and went out and found in the clover, and I know you've never seen this, a bumblebee. And little Johnny had the bright idea that he was going to catch that bumblebee inside of his Prince Albert can. Now that's pretty reasonable. We would put bugs in there. So he, he reached down, and he was able to catch that little bumblebee, close that lid down, and continue to play. And then the bell rang. The recess was over, and little Johnny grabbed his Prince Albert. can. it's only about that big, like we do with our phones today, and he stuck it in his pocket. And he ran into class, running late, and sat down. Now, let me tell you something about a Prince Albert can. It's not very strong. And guess what's going to happen to that Prince Albert can when you sit on it? It's going to crumple. Now, remember, in the back pocket of little Johnny, there is a tin can that contains a bumblebee who is not happy that he is in the can and is not happy that he's in the back pocket of Johnny, and is not happy now that little Johnny has sat down and compressed his space, but he did find a way out of the can. Anybody want to guess what happened? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, that bumblebee got loose inside the back pocket of little Johnny, and Johnny's jumping up and down, and the teacher says, Johnny, Johnny, sit down. He said, ma'am, I can't. There are things going on back there that you don't have no idea about. You know, sometimes in life, and that's why I like that song we sung a minute ago, sometimes there are things happening that we don't have any idea is going on. Sometimes it's in people's lives, but sometimes there's a bigger story at hand. And so this morning, we're going to look at a story. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. We're going to look at a story where we're seeing one thing as it's unfolding, but there is something else that is going on. Now, the problem we always have when we look at a story in the Bible is those of us that have been in the church for a long, long time, the problem is that we know the stories. And the problem is that we know the end of the story. We know all the events of the story. And so when we begin to read it, we automatically go to the end. So, what I'm going to ask you to do this morning is turn off your ADD buttons. Okay? Turn off your ADD buttons for a time this morning and stay with me. Stay with me in the moment as we read the story. Stay with me in this moment as we walk with the characters and try to experience it as they were experiencing it. Remember, they didn't have the Scripture. They didn't know how the story was going to unfold and how that story was going to end. so we want to walk with them so that we understand the journey, so that we can grasp the significance of what was really happening. And it's a story of two very important figures that you're going to know Their names are Joseph and Jacob. So take your Bibles this morning and turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 37. Genesis chapter 37. Now there's there's a lot of story that's backfilled as we come into chapter 37, but we're not going to go all the way back there. So it says this in verse 1. And Jacob lived in the land of his father's sojournings in the land of Canaan. Now, Jacob is an interesting character. How many of you know what his name means? What? He struggles with God, he struggles with God deceiver. His literal his name means heel catcher supplanter, crook, if you want to call it that, he would probably be in jail today for the kind of life they lived. And his name really fit him. You've ever known somebody, their name just fits them? And his name really fit him because that's the kind of life he lived. And if you go to the backfill of the story, you'll, you'll see that. But Jacob lived in the land of Canaan. Now, Jacob, of course, was the son of Isaac, who was the son of Abraham. And it says, these are the generations of Jacob. He had uh, 12 sons, 12 sons, the 11th one being Joseph, verse 2, who is now 17 years old, pasturing the flock with his brothers, and he was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. Now, Now, Joseph... Was an amazing young man. His word means adding, and he was the very apple of Jacob's eye. He was his favorite son. Look at verse 3. Now, Israel loved, and by the way, Israel, Jacob, simultaneous, same name, same person. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, why was he so special? Well, it says there that he was the son of his old age, but more significant is that he was the son born to Rachel. Now, again, you're going to have to go back and read the story, and it's a weird story, but Jacob really loved Rachel. He fell in love. It was like the first time I ever saw my wife Cindy. I mean, I was slain in the spirit. I mean, I was enamored by her, and that's the way Jacob felt about Rachel. He was just enamored with her, but through trickery, which it seems like you know, what you sow is what you reap, through trickery, Laban, who was the father of Rachel and Leah, slipped Leah in, and somehow or another, Jacob ended up marrying Leah. Don't ask me to explain that. He was punch drunk, evidently, because he didn't know what he was doing, so he ends up getting Leah, and then he ends up getting Rachel. Now, the problem for Jacob was that Leah gave birth to 10 sons, but Rachel was barren, and Rachel was the love of his life. And so Rachel cries out, and finally God blesses her womb, and she gives birth to Joseph. So you can see why Joseph was supposed so special, because this was the son born to the apple of his eye, Rachel. So Jacob gives him this coat. But verse 4, But when his brothers saw that their father loved him, that is Joseph, more than all of his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. And you're going to see this hatred is is going to, to show up all throughout the story. In fact, three times it uses this word hatred. And in the Hebrew, it's a strong hatred. It's not just simply, I don't like you. It means, I hate you. In fact, that it says they couldn't even speak peacefully. And, and Joseph didn't help any. Because verse 5, it says, Now Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, Hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and behold, my sheaf rose and stood upright, and behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to them, Are you going to reign over us? They understood what the dream meant. Or are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream. And he told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, the eleven stars were bowing down to me. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, another word for intensified hatred, but his father kept the saying in mind. So you've got this family, and it is a really dysfunctional family. That's why I love the scripture. It doesn't sugarcoat the reality of sin, even in the early beginnings, so you've got this dysfunctional family. You've got this son that's beloved by the father. The father really loves this son. And the son is kind of a tattletale, Joseph, a brat. He's that little brother that you can't stand. And so this hostility is developing. Well, let's go on. So his brothers were, went out to pasture, verse 12, their father's flock near Shechem. And Israel said to Joseph, Are not your brothers pasturing the flock at Shechem? Come, I will send you to them. And he said to him, Here I am. So he said to him, Go now and see if it is well with your brothers, with the flock, and bring me word. So Joseph went from the valley of Hebron, and he came to Shechem, and he found a man wandering in the fields. And the man asked him, What are you seeking? He said, I'm seeking my brothers. And he said, Well, tell me, please, where are they pasturing? And the man said, They have gone away, for I heard them say, Let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. And when they, the brothers, saw him from afar, and before he came near to them, they conspired against him to kill him. Then he said, then they, they said to one another, Here comes the dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams." Keep that in mind. But when Reuben heard it, he rescued him out of their hands and said, let's not take his blood. And Reuben said, shed no blood, throw him into the pit here in the wilderness, but do not lay a hand on him that he might rescue him out of their hand to restore him to his father. That is, he was going to save Joseph's life. I guess you could say he was better of the brothers. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. They took him and threw him into the pit, and the pit was empty and there was no water in it. Then they sat down to eat. And looking up, they saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead with their camels bearing gum, I wonder if that was juicy fruit or spearmint. But they brought gum, balm, and myrrh on their way to carry it down to Egypt. Then Judah said to his brothers, "'What profit is it if we kill our brother and conceal his blood? Let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our own flesh. How noble!' And his brothers listened to him. Then Midianite traders and the Ishmaelites and the Midianites were the same, Traders passed by and they drew Joseph up, lifted him out of the pit, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. Now when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, "'The boy is gone. Where shall I go?' And they took Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the blood, robe in the blood, and sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, It is Joseph's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. And Jacob tore his garments, put sackcloth on his loins, and mourned for his son many days. And all of his sons, all of his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, no. I shall go down to Sheol, the place of death, to my son, mourning. Thus his father wept for him. I don't know if any of you in this room have experienced the loss of a child. But I want you to stay here for a moment. What it must have felt like. I've been around people that have lost a child. Not too long ago, I was visiting with a client, and their child was killed when they were very young. And 10 years later, they still weren't over it. My uh, sister-in-law, Cindy's sister, had a daughter named Mary. Mary was my niece. God blessed me with three sons and no girls. Mary was my girl. But I don't pretend to understand when Rhonda got the news and Mark got the news that Mary had been killed in an automobile accident. I know what I felt, but folks, I don't even purport to say I understand what that feels like. And not only did he lose a son... He lost his favorite son. I say whatever you want about he shouldn't have a favorite son, yada, yada. But if you say that you're a liar, we all have our favorite kids, right? And there's some of them we wish we could just get rid of, but if we're truthful. But Joseph was not that one. So here's Jacob. Mourning, there's nothing that anybody could say. Jacob says, I'll go to my grave mourning. I'll never get over this. Verse 36, meanwhile. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. I love that word, meanwhile. SpongeBob has made it popular again, amen? Meanwhile. But I I love that word, meanwhile. Meanwhile, while Jacob was in Canaan morning, something was happening over here with this guy named Joseph. A lot of things were happening. One, he had been sold to a caravan, we know that. He, he is sold from the caravan to Potiphar and rises to prominence in the house of Potiphar, becomes second in command in Potiphar's house, and then he's falsely accused by Potiphar's wife that she, he has raped her. He ends up in prison now again. There in prison, he rises to prominence again and becomes second in command, so to speak, in the prison. And, and while there, he interprets the dreams of two prisoners. One is going to die, one is going to come back to the king, and exactly it happens that way. Then later on, the Pharaoh has a dream, and this prisoner that was released says, hey, I know a guy that can interpret your dream. And so Pharaoh brings Joseph out of the prison. Joseph comes and interprets the dream, says, hey, Pharaoh, this is what's going to happen. There's going to be seven years of bounty, and then there's going to be seven years of famine, and you need to put a plan together because when it gets bad, it's going to get really, really bad. And Pharaoh says, man, Joseph, you are the man you know what to do here. And so Pharaoh says, Joseph, you're going to be the top dog. You're going to be second only to me. And so uh, Joseph rises to prominence. And I have to kind of think if you're Joseph, you're probably looking over your shoulder and saying, when is the next shoe going to drop? Because every time he's been raised to a place of prominence, something happens, but it doesn't happen in this case. And so he prepares Egypt for the upcoming famine. Meanwhile, Back in Canaan, Jacob mourns the loss of his son Joseph. He transfers the favorite son status to Benjamin, who was also the child of Rachel. Rachel had Joseph, then later she had Benjamin. And so he's just kind of done the same thing now with Benjamin, but the famine strikes, and when it strikes, it hits the land of Canaan. Facing starvation due to the famine, he decides to send his sons, other than Benjamin, to Egypt, because he heard in Egypt there is plenty of food. And so the brothers take off, and they go to Egypt. So meanwhile, back in Joseph, or back in, in Egypt, Joseph receives his brothers who have come for the grain and accuses the brothers of spying and demands that they bring Benjamin, the favorite son of Jacob, back to see him. And so the brothers make their way back to Canaan, and meanwhile, back in Canaan, Jacob welcomes his sons back in. Here's the ultimatum that Benjamin has to go back with them if they want any more food, says it ain't going to happen. I'm not going to lose both of my sons of Rachel because Rachel is dead now. Opens the packs, finds out there's all sorts of food and money that, that have been given to them unbeknownst to the brothers. And now anguish is that he's lost Joseph because if you remember back over there in Egypt, Joseph said, you're gonna keep Simeon here. So now he's lost Joseph and Simeon and and is being told that he's gotta give Benjamin up. But the famine continues, things keep getting bad, and so he decides to send Benjamin back to Egypt with his other brothers to buy the grain rather than starve. And so back in Egypt with Joseph meanwhile, He receives the brothers back, tests the brothers, and then finally reveals to them that he is Joseph. Tells his brothers to go back and get Jacob and all the rest of the family. And so they pack up and they go back. And meanwhile, back in Canaan, Jacob hears the great news that Joseph is alive, packs up his family, and heads back to Egypt. And 22 years after he received the initial news that his son was dead, 22 years after Jacob thought he would never, ever see his son alive again, he sees him. 22 years after Joseph was thrown in a pit and thought he would never see his father's face again, he sees him alive. That's an incredible story, isn't it? I mean, Hallmark couldn't do any better. I mean, this is this a powerful story. And if you notice, there is a common theme throughout, and it is the theme of what? Meanwhile. Meanwhile, back in egypt meanwhile back in canaan meanwhile back there there were things that that were happening and so you begin to see that this meanwhile plays an important part of the role but it's not the main thing i want to share with you the the lesson from this story today and i need you to write it down and never forget it and it is this meanwhile god Meanwhile, God. Because you see, there was something so much bigger. Let me say that again. Meanwhile, God. Say that with me. Meanwhile, God. Say it again loud. God. Meanwhile, God was at work. God was at work in two powerful ways. Jacob lost his son. Meanwhile, God was at work providing for Jacob. So he could fulfill his promise to Jacob that he would build a great nation. We read about it in Genesis chapter 46. Turn over there with me if you would. Because Joseph pondered whether he would even go back. And so it says in verse 1 of chapter 46, So Israel took his journey with all that he had, came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go to Egypt, for there I will make you into a what? Great nation. And I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes." You see, God was working all this time unbeknownst to Jacob. Meanwhile, back in Egypt, doing a miracle of raising Joseph up to a place of prominence so that he would be able to provide his family. And and Joseph thinking that he had lost his family forever, had no family, didn't realize that meanwhile God was at work preparing him to save Jacob and the nation of Israel. Go over to Genesis chapter 50, and we read these words from Joseph as he's speaking to his brothers after his fathers died. They were afraid that Joseph was going to kill them now that Jacob was gone, but verse 19 of chapter 50 said, but Joseph said to them, don't fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. To bring it about, many people should be kept alive as they are today. Now, I guarantee you that Joseph didn't fully grasp that early on, when he was in the meanwhile. And, and Jacob, over in Canaan, he sure wasn't grasping that meanwhile as he was going through this whole story. But there was something happening, meanwhile, God. And so what we're going to do this morning, and then we're going to finish it up next week, we're going to look at the theology of the meanwhile. We're going to talk about the theology of the meanwhile because it is so very important for us. And I want to put it in a very condensed statement. It is this. God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for our lives as a part of his grand and glorious kingdom plan. There are going to be some very powerful truths that are going to emerge out of that statement. God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for our lives as a part, as a subset of his grand and glorious kingdom plan. And if you really grasp what is going on here with Joseph and Jacob, this is exactly what was happening. God was at work accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for Joseph and Jacob as a part of his grander and more glorious kingdom plan. Now, brothers and sisters, that will keep you afloat. That will keep you afloat when you go through the worst of times. That will keep you afloat when a COVID-19 strikes. Amen? They will keep you afloat when there are people that are rioting and pillaging streets and there's violence everywhere we go. That'll keep you afloat when you're watching what's going on in our country and you're seeing our country being torn apart. That will keep you afloat when you're suffering immeasurably. That will keep you afloat when you're going through a very dark time and you don't see your way. That'll keep you afloat when you lose your job, when you lose a loved one to death. That will keep you afloat when you lose everything that you have. That will keep you afloat. When nothing is going all right, that will keep you afloat when all of your dreams, think of Joseph, lie in the ash heap. He had dreams that he was gonna be the great dude and all the brothers are gonna come down, include his father, and bow down before him, he ends up in a pit and he ends up in a prison, accused of rape. And it will keep you afloat when it seems that God is nowhere around. And if there's ever been a time that we need to hear that statement, it's in our world today. Amen. God is at work in his world accomplishing his eternal plans and purposes for our lives as a part of his greater, grander, and more glorious kingdom plan. And so we're going to unpack that and see how it kind of helps us to understand this story. So we're going to look at two things this morning, and then we'll finish the rest of it next week. And then we're going to look at some very practical truths from the life of Joseph of how we live in that meanwhile period of time. So number one, notice that God is at work in his world. God was at work, and that's why I like that Waymaker song that we sang earlier, God is at work even when we don't see it, even when we don't feel it, even when we don't sense it, even though there's no evidence of it anywhere, even when it seems as though everything tells us that, that God is checked out. You know, there's a whole theological system, it's called Deism. And a deist says that God created the world, wound up the clock, left, and will show back up when the alarm clock goes off. So God is, is not engaged in his world at all. But I want you to understand that God is at work in his world. God is at work. Why? Because this is his world. I love this passage of scripture, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell in, for he founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers." Ladies and gentlemen, we need first thing we need to understand in this whole theology of the meanwhile is this is God's work. This is God's world. This is not our world. It's not about us. It's about him. And he created all of it. I I love what this passage says in Hebrews. It says, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. In other words, there was no big bang. Mm -hmm. Isn't that what it says? I mean, folks, I want to tell you something. You're going to have a hard time embracing evolution if you really believe the Bible because it says so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So for there to be evolution, there had to be some things visible. Amen? He says there ain't nothing visible. (laughs) God just spoke it, and it came into being. It is his world, but then second of all, it is his work that God is up to something, God is doing something. Hebrews says, you are the Lord, you alone, you made the heavens, the heavens of heavens, with all their hosts, the earth and all that is on it, the seas and all that is in them, and you preserve all of them, and the hosts of heaven worship you. In other words, God is working because creation needs him to be at work so that it can be sustained and held up. This verse says it this way. Long ago, many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And notice this. And what? He upholds all things by the power of his word. Can I get an amen on that? He holds this whole thing together, ladies and gentlemen. If God checked out, as the deist says, if God said, I'm done with it, I'm checking out, no more interested anymore, you know what would happen to us? You would have Thanos clicking his fingers and everybody just disintegrating. Because God is upholding us. Why? Because this is His world and this is His work. But then, second of all, I want you to see that God is accomplishing His eternal plans and purposes. You see, there was a whole lot more going on in this story than just Joseph and Jacob. There was a whole lot more going on. There was a lot more circulating, a lot more things going on that they never saw. Because, see, we live with our eyes set on what we can see, and that's normal and that's natural. But there's a whole supernatural realm where God is moving and we understand that in that realm there are demons and there's devil and there's conflict and all these other things. There is another dimension. It's interesting now that scientists are talking about there's another dimension that we can't see. Well, read your Bible. It's been there for thousands of years. And so God is doing something significant here, and he will accomplish his work. It's kind of like little Johnny. There's a lot of stuff going on back there that nobody has any idea of what's going on. Uh, I, I love this. Go back to our passage in Genesis 37, because Joseph had this dream, and Let's be honest, it didn't sound like he presented it in the best way. How many of you would be happy if your brother came in and said, hey guys, one day I'm going to be top dog and you're going to bow at my feet. How many of you are going to go, well, praise God. No, you're going to punch him in the nose. And what they didn't understand is this dream was for him and it was from God for him But I love verse 20 of Genesis 37, he says, "'Come now, the brothers, after they see the dreamer.'" Well, look, verse 19, here comes the dreamer. "'Come now, let us kill him, throw him into one of the pits. "'Then we'll say that a fierce animal has devoured him, "'and we will see what becomes of his dreams.'" You know what they were saying? (laughs) "'We'll kill this dream.'" We'll make sure that this dream is never fulfilled. We'll never bow before Joseph. And Jacob will never bow before Joseph. We're going to kill the dream. And so they put their plan into action, and guess what? God screwed their plan up. God calls all things to work together for the good of those that are in Christ Jesus. Amen? And God did something. Why? Because God will not be stopped by rebellion. God will not be stopped by famine. God will not be stopped by sin, money, economic disaster, politicians, scientists, radical leftists, LBGTs, and fan diseases, pandemics like COVID 19. God will not be stopped in accomplishing his purposes. I love Isaiah. Here's what Isaiah writes. He says, this is the purpose that is purposed according concerning the whole world. And this is the hand that stretched out over the nations. For the Lord of hosts has what? Say it. Say it. I can't hear you. Purposed. I'm going to do like SpongeBob. I can't hear you. He has purposed it. Who will annul it? His hand has stretched it out, and who is going to turn it back? (laughs) Who's going to do it? You're going to do it. Then read this verse here. Remember this, stand firm. Recall to mind, you transgressors, remember the former things of old, for I am God. There is no other. I am God. There is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand. I will accomplish all my purposes, calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country I have spoken. I will bring it to pass. Read the last part. I have purposed and will do it. I have purposed and I will do it. Now, does God lie? How many of you believe that God lies? Raise your hand. How many of you believe that God always tells truth? Raise your hand. Then what does that mean? He's going to do it. He's going to accomplish it. This verse says, many are the plans in a man's mind, but it is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. It is the purposes of the Lord that will stand. Nothing we do, not even the devil and his forces, can stop God from fulfilling his eternal plans. Jesus told that when he said this, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not, what? And you understand that it's not saying we retreat inside our church buildings and Satan is attacking us like you would see on Lord of the Rings and the, the, they're attacking and they're trying to break in. That's not what he's saying here. It's saying we are on the offensive and the gates of hell, they will not prevail. Why? Because God has purposed to build his church. Brothers and sisters, I want you to understand something this morning. That when we are on God's team, cooperating with him, we are invincible. I want you to go over to Romans chapter 8. You know this passage, but you knew the other one too. But I want you to go over there with me. Because I love this passage of Scripture. It is so powerful. Romans chapter 8, verse 31. Excuse me. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how and also with him graciously give us all things, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies, verse 34, who is to condemn. Christ Jesus is the one who died more than that, who was raised, who is the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Currently, presently, in this very moment, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness or danger, or sword, or COVID-19, or riots, as it is written for your sake? We are being killed all day, day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. Through him who loved us, for I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. And all of God's people said, amen. That when we're with God, we're invincible. Now, notice that I didn't say that we will not face impossible circumstances. Because let me tell you something. These two guys, they had no clue what God is doing. See, we have the advantage of having the Bible, right? We got the scriptures. We can read the story. But these guys were living it. <laughs> they didn't have a Bible. They they didn't have the knowledge of how this thing was going to end. Meanwhile, Joseph, or Jacob, meanwhile, Joseph. But more importantly, meanwhile, God. We're going to stop there this morning. But next week, what we're going to do is finish looking at the theology of the meanwhile and then how it fits our lives. But there's some things I want to close out with this morning. Very important truths. I want you to write them down. They're not in your th- notes. But they're obvious. We've talked about them, but you need to write them down. Because I'm telling tell you something, folks. When you're in the middle of the meanwhile, it can be pretty tough. Amen? I have to admit, this, I heard this meanwhile, not this sermon, but this concept of meanwhile while listening to a podcast of a good friend of mine. And I went back and I began to study it because I'm going to tell you something. The last 10, 12 years, I've been in a meanwhile moment. And, and, and my family sitting here, so I can't lie. It has been hell. And sometimes I have put them through hell. And I've been mad and angry I've been with God. I've been ticked at God. I've questioned God. And, and there's a lot of people that ask questions. David did and all these other people. I'm sure Jacob prayed why and Joseph saying in the prison. Lord, I, 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 I just try to do what you want to do and I get thrown in a pit. Then he rises to prominence, Potiphar's house, and he's trying to be good and not do anything wrong. And so he runs from Potiphar's wife. She grabs his cloak and then says that uh, Joseph tried to rape her. And he gets thrown into prison. And he's sitting there going, "What did I do?" And and we're, we're in those moments. We're in those times. It can be very dark. But here's what I want us to remember, and these are things that have really, for my family, for me personally, in the last couple of weeks, and I'm saying the last couple of weeks have really changed me. Number one, things are not always what they seem when God is at work. I'm speaking to some of God's people this morning that are walking through some very tough times. And God doesn't feel very real. And God doesn't seem very there. I'm speaking to some people that love this country very dearly, and they're watching the things that are happening in our world, the hostility, the hatred, and, and they've prayed for revival. They've prayed for God to move on the, this nation and return us back to God and back to faith in God and, and trust in God. And, and instead of that, everything is just crumbling around us. God's people have long believed that Jesus Christ is going to return, and they see this and they say, Oh, Jesus is coming, and he doesn't come. I'm speaking to some people who don't believe there's a God because you can't see any physical evidence of him. You don't see any miracles happening. I mean, I haven't seen anybody walking on water. I haven't seen anybody breaking bread and feeding thousands of people. I haven't seen any Red Seas parting. And so they don't see him working, and they say, he's not real. And I'm speaking to some people this morning that have been putting off believing in Jesus Christ because it appears... They have plenty of time because they don't see anything happening. Let me remind you, when God is on the throne, things are not always as they appear to us. Can I get an amen out of that? Amen. Number two, you don't want to miss out on what God is doing. You don't want to miss out on what God is doing because it's bigger and better than anything this world has to offer and will outlast anything man can conceive or build. You don't want to miss out on it. Third, most important one, and someone here needs to hear this morning, you don't want to be on the wrong side of what God is doing. You don't want to be on the wrong side of what God is doing because I'm telling you something, my friends. God is working and moving. And God is going to return and God is going to set up his kingdom and God is going to judge the unrighteous. You don't want to be on the wrong side of God. So how can you join with him in his work? First of all, become a child of God. And then second of all, live like a child of God. And sometimes it's tough. Sometimes God disappoints us because he doesn't come through the way we think he ought to come through. He doesn't do things the way we think that he ought to do them. But always remember, while we're in our Egypt, while we're in our Canaan, meanwhile, God is at work. Will you bow your heads in prayer?